Well, my dear friends, it's good to be back in Conway. Your pastor Greg invited me. Please don't hold that against him in the future. Forgive him because he knows not what he does. Long ago in my very traditional small town southern home, there was a prominent citizen who had the respect of the entire community. He was upright and moral and a professing Christian. On top of all that, he had a very keen sense of humor. It was well known to everybody in town. He could make you laugh and he could laugh himself. He was known to everybody affectionately as Mr. Clarence. And Mr. Clarence had a rustic place on a local lake because he was an avid fisherman. He hired a couple of men who probably needed to work very badly, and Mr. Clarence knew it, to assemble a new gate to the fence that entered his lake house. Now when he arrived to inspect the work, he had to back his car up way out of the way to get in. Because you see, these two young men had hinged the gate to swing out into the road. And it blocked access. When Mr. Clarence asked these two why they had botched the job, why the gate was swung outward instead of the more usual and more convenient inward opening, one of the young men replied, Well, Mr. Clarence, I thought you would do, be doing a whole lot more going out than you were doing coming in. Think about it. Oh, that famous non-sequitur, the classic nonsense, foolish answer, sometimes the stuff of comedy. But true to form, the ever-upright Mr. Clarence was kind and gentle in his rebuke to these two perhaps less than bright young men, but he immediately had them rehang the gate. And in many ways, this silly story encapsulates the gospel message that Jesus is giving us for this morning. In America, we have a long tradition of rooting for the underdog. We see it in sports especially, but also in other phases of life. And this morning, I want each of you to think for a moment on the times when you yourself have felt you were an underdog. On those times when you felt maybe disadvantaged or uninformed or out of your element. It's not a very nice feeling, is it? And how you relieved you might have been when you saw a friendly face or someone gave you some kind of aid and how you never seem to forget those acts of kindness, no matter how small. In the Gospel today, Jesus is teaching His disciples and us about purity. Now this is not the well-known evangelical concept of abstinence purity, that is, from alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever. This is much more difficult. This is about spiritual purity. Purity of the soul and purity of the spirit. Purity of the heart. Purity in our love for God. Recall from the gospel lesson last week that Jesus had called a little child into his lap. Now there's no indication that this child has been set aside. And we are to assume that the child is still present. It's a continuous story. That's just the way the lectionary divides the text. Now John, the beloved disciple, was perhaps the master of the non-sequitur. 
he begins to ask Jesus a question about someone. Someone who is not a part of their company casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Now anyone who has taught for a while knows that this is a frequently used device for the reluctant or the unprepared student. Change the subject. Give a nonsensical answer. Perhaps Jesus has made John uncomfortable in his previous discussion of coming to the Father like a little child. Not simply as an innocent child, but as one who is completely dependent upon God. And John probably wants to get off this topic. John addresses Jesus as teacher, and like the master teacher that Jesus is, Jesus uses the circumstance to make his point. Jesus says to John that anyone who does good deeds in his name is to be encouraged because then afterward he will not be able to condemn Jesus. And how often we see some Christians in our own time disparage the work of other Christians. This may be because of denominational differences or frequently in our time political differences or social differences or economic disagreements or because of all the things that divide our society in this time. And Jesus teaches firmly against such action. But then Jesus returns to his preferred topic, the major lesson of his teaching. Jesus is talking to his disciples about spiritual purity. When Jesus says that if a part of your body offends, get rid of it, he of course is not speaking literally or else there would be no unimpaired Christians. All of us would be lame or blind or worse. The great early Christian father Origen believed that it might be at some point necessary to sacrifice a member of the church, a member of the body of Christ, to maintain the purity and the purpose and the mission of the congregation. It might be necessary in life to give up some habit or some cherished practice or some object or to give up a friendship or some material pleasure. And toward what end? Why would we do such a thing? The point here is that any sacrifice is justified to more perfectly obey God and do His will. And why does Jesus continue to hold the child throughout all this discourse? What is this reference to children and little ones? And why is this so important to the teaching of Jesus? When Jesus refers to little ones, he is not talking about children in the chronological sense or the physical sense. No, he's referring to children in the spiritual sense. We must be very careful not to lead astray, even inadvertently, those who are tender in the faith, those who are still in the formation of their belief, those whose faith is less mature, less developed, less well-founded. Certainly at some time and in some juncture, that includes all of us. None of us has perfectly developed faith and certainty of belief. All of us remain on the journey. All of us stand before God in need of further development. All of us pray that we will leave this life in the faith and fear of God. 
And all of us must be justified by Jesus and His love and His sacrifice and His death and His resurrection. And in our acceptance and our belief in Him. Belief in Him as we stand before God at the resurrection. You see, this allusion to children runs much, much deeper. A child is utterly dependent on the adults around them. Children cannot care for themselves. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot clothe or shelter themselves. They depend on the adults around them to care for them and nourish them and teach them and raise them to, to maturity. There's no material advantage to raising a child. A child cannot really do anything for his or her parents. There's only one thing that a child has to give his mom or dad or family. A child has only his love to give. Nothing but his love. So it is with us in the spiritual sense. Are we all not like children before God? Can we do anything for God? Can we give God any advantage? Can we give to God any counsel? Can we impart any wisdom to God? Can we thrive apart from the Almighty's creation? No, it is in God that we live and have our being. All we have to give to God, like a little child, all we have to give Him is our love. How do we love God? How do we express our love in Him? We express our love by obeying His commandments and precepts. And that means reflecting the love of God in our dealings with our fellow humans. Whether it's the two boys with Mr. Clarence, or to show a kind face to someone who's in trouble, or to give encouragement to the underdog, even to give a simple cup of water, a gift that anyone can give in the name of Jesus. That is how we express our love of God, our spiritual purity. And that is how we partake of the salvation of the kingdom, now and forever. Amen.